There we go. Yeah. Sorry about that. Men's Encounter is one of the highlights of, of our church as guys and my year. And if you're a guy, we already had, we've got a good start already of people signing up. And if you're a guy and you're wondering if you should go, just go to our website and sign up. You should go. All right. I'm, I'm telling you, you'll, you'll be glad you did. It's powerful. Um, God, there's a really powerful time of hearing stories from people whose lives, who are walking through this and seeing what God's doing in their life and then kicking that over to our lives too. So today, we're uh, wrapping up this series we've been doing on different, on living different, and how the life we're called to is different from our old life, from our current life, and from our culture. And you may have heard that yesterday, the K-State football team didn't do so well. Sorry about that. I know we're still, you know, it was a tough day here in Wildcat land. I guarantee you, right now, there are a lot of people in that program asking the question, what do we need to do different? We got a bunch more games coming up. We got all the conference games. What, that didn't go so well yesterday. So we don't want to see the same result. What do we need to change in order to have a different result? You may have heard the old saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, that's kind of where we're at today. We, we started off three weeks ago, we talked about how to live different, it's about having a different spirit. It's not just our own efforts or trying harder, but it's actually believers in God, believing in Him and having His Spirit come and live inside of us and give us a different spirit that's different than our natural means and different than others, what others are, are living with. Um, Jesse talked about two weeks ago about how living this different life, how important it is to have a, a prophetic picture of your future. That whatever the picture of your future is that you have, that's most likely what your life is going to look like. And how God wants to replace our current pictures with a preferred, his preferred picture of, of our future. And then last week we talked about the differences between the, how, how the gospel we believe, whatever the, like, the message we believe that shapes our life, that will produce the life that we live. And especially we talked about the difference between the gospel of just personal salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom of God coming to the world, coming to our lives, and changing everything. But this week, we're talking about choosing to differentiate. Choosing to differentiate. Choosing to shed some things from our life and come into something different. Differentiation is a is a, a term that's used really about separating from negative influences and identities and patterns in the process of self-development. To live differently, you've got to, we've got to choose an intentional process of differentiation. And we see that even in the last three weeks as we looked at like Caleb and Joshua three weeks ago. Like There was a point where not only did they have a different thought process about the situation than the other 10 leaders who were assessing it with them, but they chose to say, no, we're not going to stand with you. We're going to stand in this place and advocate for this. They differentiated themselves. There was a choice to separate and be different. Um, we could, you know, the, the disciples that Jesse talked about, when Jesus first called them, they had to leave. They had to differentiate from their old life, from their livelihood, from their friends and family. They had to leave something behind and come into something new. Um, last week, we, we talked about um, Gideon and, and, his, and his army, and there was a clear differentiation between the people who 
God was choosing to be in his army and those that didn't have the right mentality to be in that. And so today we're looking actually at the story of Abraham. Famous, well-known Bible character. You've probably heard of him. And there's a, just so many. He's one of the most beloved characters, not only in the Christian faith, but he's also in, with Jewish people, of course. And in the Muslim world, he's looked at as the father of faith for, for so many of the people in, in the world. And, but we're going to look at, and I actually heard this, I'm, I'm, I'm not stealing, but I'm adapting, I'm, I'm covering this message that I heard like 20 years ago from kind of a, a, a mentor, pastor of mine named Ray McCollum. He preached a message called The Seven Separations of Abraham. And so if you look at the story of Abraham, there were seven, se- seven, seven separations he had to make to leave something behind in order to follow God and become who God was calling him to be and fulfill the purpose that God had for him. And so we're going to just kind of go through very quickly at these. And I'm not, actually, I lost my notes. I'm not sure you know, how many of these seven are the seven, same seven that I heard 20 years ago, but I think they're very applicable for us. And um, what, what really stood out to me as I was going through this. So I'm trusting, you know, if we're here today, this is, this is their, my trust and prayer is that there are areas that the Lord is going to put his finger on and go, hey, that's a place for you where I want you to differentiate from your current status quo and come into something different. So let's just pray together before we dive in. Lord, we can't change by ourselves, but you change us. And that starts by you, by your spirit, speaking to our hearts and making things evident to us. And I ask that you would do that right now. As we go through your word, God, would you speak to the hearts in this room? God, may the result of this, this time looking at your word not just be like, that was a nice talk, those were, yeah, but, oh man, this is what I need to do. This is what God is calling me to, and this is who you're calling me to become. Lord, we tr- I trust you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so starting in Genesis 12, the call of Abram. Abram's name first was not Abraham, but Abram, which means exalted father. God later changed it to Abraham because it means a father of many nations. But in verse 12, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. There's this preferred future Jesse was talking about. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God shows up somehow and speaks to Abram and calls him. And even in the preceding verses, we're not going to read them, but it's, it's insightful that Abram's father, Terah, had left his homeland in Ur of the Chaldeans, so modern-day Babylon. And it says he started off for the land of Canaan, and he took his family with him. He took... Abram and his other surviving son and their wives and children. And they started heading off towards Canaan, which is 
actually the promised land that God was going to call Abraham to. But it says that Terah stopped in the city of Haran and settled there. And we're not sure why, but he settled there and then he died there. So we see that he started this process of differentiation. We're not sure like why, like had God spoken to him too directly, but some there was he was going towards the place that God was was calling at least Abram, but he he stopped halfway there, which is so easy to do and so many people do. Like they start out on this path, but then settle along the way. But then he died in that place. He he was content to settle there, and that's where he ended up. That's where that's where he 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 died. Um, and so easy for us, too. You know, I think those of us in the room who are Christians, that means we started with a place of saying, hey, I'm repenting from my old life of sin and self-centeredness to follow Jesus. And there's, when you first begin following Jesus, there's a whole lot of change that happens. But then it's easy to kind of settle along the way and settle in the place where you are and the change not continue on. Um, so... So there's that. Um, I wanted to, before we go into what these separations, what these differentiations are, it's so important to see the why behind the what. The why behind, like, why was God going to call Abram to, to differentiate from things? And it's because he had this calling upon his life. It's like, I am going to make your name great. And I'm going to make of you a mighty nation. And in you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So start with that first thing. I'm going to make your name great. You know, we think of that, we might be like, yeah, I'm going to have a lot of Insta followers. Like, I'll be famous. Like, that's what it means to have a great name. But that's really not what it's about. In the Hebrew understanding, your name was your, the essence of your being, was your character. Your name is what people knew you as, but that stemmed from who you actually are, your character. And so when God says, I'm going to make your name great, yes, you are going to become well-known, but more significant than that is the character of who you are going to become. And out of that character, you will become well-known. And then out of that character, you'll be a blessing to the nation. So just foundationally, we have to see that, that our doing, you know, God was going to have a great things he was going to accomplish through Abram. But your doing always flows from your being. What you do comes from who you are. And people around us, like, that's what they get. You know, they, they can see through the stuff we do. But who we are, like, that's, that's, that's really just what people get from us. And that's where our influence comes from. So God is much more concerned with our being and our becoming than our doing. He's always in the process of shaping our, our being. So God was going to be in this process, begin this process of transformation for Abram. Doing flows from being and then being and then second essential thing we got to understand is that you pass on who you are. Whenever you see this, you know, naturally, like, you know, families pass on, moms and dads pass on who they are, for good and for bad, to their children. It's not, you don't pass on if you say, hey, don't, don't do what I do, do what I say. That doesn't work. But who we are is what's influential. It's, it's what's passed on. And so God was going to make this, his people out of Abram and his wife, Sarai. And so, it was really important because whatever was in them was going to be what was passed on to this nation. And so there had to be this recalibration, this differentiation in them. It wasn't just about them. 
but it was about everything, everyone who's going to follow. And a lot of us, you know, I've heard this from a lot of people in the room here, that real, this is the revelation that, you know, the battles of my life and my choices, I'm fighting not just for me, but for, to change my family line, to change, like, what my children grow up with, and, you know, to change what the, the, my children, and, you know, my family's been like this until now, but I want to change some things there, and that's what God does with us. I'm so thankful. Like, my mom grew up in a family where her parents became believers when she was, starting when she was seven, and ended up, God did great things, but there were a lot of unhealthy things in her family, and definitely not a lot of unconditional love. And she realized, man, I need to change that. I don't want my children to grow up the way I did. And she was successful. I mean, in my, for me and my siblings, there was never any doubt that we were loved unconditionally. Like, there was something that God did in, in my mom that was passed on. And that's the same type of thing God wants to do with us. So, doing flows from being, you pass on who you are. All right, this is important. So what are the, the separations? What are the differentiations? Well, this first verse here, you probably picked them up. The first one is differentiation from your place. Differentiation from place. Abram had to leave his country, leave the land where he lived. And so there is a, a separation from, from place. And that I can refer both to physical location, and it can also refer to culture. So many times, I remember growing up, I, I just had this sense that, man, when I go to college, I, I want to go like far away to college. And I, maybe it was because my, my mom and dad had both gone out of state to college. Um, like a long ways out of state. And, and it worked out, I went to high school in Taiwan, so if I was going to go anywhere in the U.S., it was going to be a long ways away. But I had just had, it was more of a sense of like, I want to go, so I kind of strike a way out and establish some things, like build this life in a different place. And God doesn't call everyone to leave the physical place, but he calls everyone to be willing to leave your physical place. And he calls everyone also to be willing to, to leave some things about our culture. Our culture is the things that are, like, it's our place in the world. It's the, like, you know, the water to a fish. It's the stuff that's, that's so natural to you, you don't even think about it. But, you know, I remember, like, when I, when I got married, that's when I first realized that, oh, there are two ways to put the toilet paper on the roller. And now the way it's presented to me is different than the way it's always been in my home. You know, it can either roll from the back or from the front. And my, there was differentiation for me. I went from back roller to front roller, all right, which I'm convinced now is superior. For, you know, it's, there was a good differentiation that happened there. And, but there are, like, so many things in, in our, the things that are just, like, how do we deal with, as you come into the kingdom of God and follow God, there are so many things that are just your culture that you've got to be willing to let go of to come into the kingdom culture that he has for you. So how do you, maybe you don't like conflict. Maybe you're, your family does, isn't good with conflict. Join like the other 99.8% of the population. But in the kingdom, conflict is really a valuable, important thing if you can learn to do it well. And so you learn, okay, how do I navigate conflict as a follower of Jesus? Um, the, you know, the list could go on and on and on. But you may be like, you know, I'm just like, I'm more of a stoic individual. I'm not very expressive. And that's just who I am. But then if you read the Bible, it's like, there are a lot of commands and instructions in here and encouragements that I'm not going to be able to obey if I'm stoic 
about my relationship with God? Is this telling me to worship God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's saying praise God with a shout and dancing. I'm like, there's stuff, there's a lot in here, like it's challenging what's normal to me. And so there's our place. We've got to be willing to differentiate from that, whatever, whatever it looks like. Those are just a couple examples. Um, you know, I, I know people that, that God put in front of them an opportunity to follow him, but it involved a physical move. And they were unwilling to make that move. And they missed out on God's calling for their life. So the first differentiation is place. The second one is really getting to the, to the heart. Friends and family. Friends and family. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now it's kind of crazy as you, as you read the Bible how often God called people to leave their family to follow him. You know, Jesus even said, hey, if you're not willing to leave father and mother and husband or wife or son or daughter for my sake, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. Wow. That's intense. And I'm not here trying to, like, to create tension between you and your family members or you and your friends. But I am here to say that we have got to be willing to say that the most important relationship in our life is God. And there is, even in like the, psycho- the, the use of the, the word differentiation in psychology, it's this understanding that there has to be a healthy coming into your own confidence of who you are as an individual, where there's a healthy differentiation from other people in your life, for you to be a healthy individual. And so whether, you know, sometimes it's like, well, my family's so unhealthy, like it's obvious, but it's even trickier when it's healthier. But there is... Like, God calls us to differentiate from, from everything to follow him. Um, You've got to be willing to, to, to do that. If, you know, there, I know in my own story, like, there, my parents loved God and were very devoted to him, but there were t- places in my journey where what I understood God to be calling me to do and the people he was calling me to walk with, my parents did not think that was a good idea. And they push back on those things. They push back on those decisions. They strongly like, pushed back and advocated for me to not do what I thought I was supposed to do. And I'm so glad that I did. And you know, now my parents would say, you know, those were good moves, you know, pretty much. You know, they, they've seen the fruit of that. I know even as a parent, I, some of my proudest moments, I've got, I've got three kids in their 20s, and some of my best moments with, the, with those adult kids is when that's happened with them, when they've made choices that I didn't think it was the best choice, and I counseled them out of what I thought, and then they said, you know what, Dad, I, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, and they did it, and it proved to be a good choice, and as a dad, I was like, wow, good job, like that, you're coming into something, that's what I really want to see, and so there's got to be a differentiation from, from our relationships. I, you know, a lot of times, people don't follow Jesus because they don't want to lose their friends. And it's, you know, it's like, well, you know, if I follow Jesus, I won't be able to like, go out and party with my friends. And, and you find out, well, maybe they weren't such good friends after all. Or I've seen people who take that step and... They, they think, like, these are the, man, my friends, they're my everything to me. And then they're like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
I'm going to start going to church and start learning about God. And their friends just diss them, and the relationship ends over that. And you realize, okay, wait, maybe that friendship wasn't so deep after all. Or you go on, and I've seen people who do that, they find out, man, what, I, what God replaces it with, the quality of relationships is so much better than what I let go of. So there's got to be a differentiation from relationships. Um, you guys with me so far? Yeah. All right, verse 5, though, I, I love this. It says, and Abram, he left, he obeyed God, and he took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So, he differentiated, but he also took as many people with him as he could. And that's what God calls us to as well. It's like, yeah, take those steps away from you know, the relationships in the way that you need to, but bring people with you as much as you can. Bring your old friends, bring your family along. Like, bring them along in this journey of following God into his purposes. All right, place, friends, and family. The next thing, well, let's just read, read what happens a few verses later to our hero, Abram. Verse 11. Um, so there was a famine in the land, in, the, in Canaan, the place where they went, what became Israel, the promised land. There was a famine in the land, so they went down to Egypt to outlast the famine. And in verse 11, it says, When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me that they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So our noble, righteous hero, Abram, runs into a little bit of a dicey situation. And what's his, what's his natural reaction? To lie about it. To make up a story and say, hey, you're not my wife, you're my sister. I don't know how that worked out in their marriage, I, I would have thought there would have been some issues they would have had to work through. But that was, that was what he did. And so what we see here is the third thing that he was going to have to learn how to differentiate from was his coping mechanisms. For Abram, his coping mechanism, when he got into uncomfortable places where he felt insecure and where his life felt like it was on shaky ground, his coping mechanism was to lie. And we see this was a coping mechanism because... It not only happened here, but it happened a few chapters later when he went to another place with the king of the Philistines and he did the same thing again. And God's like, okay, I've got to keep working with you. You've got these coping mechanisms. And coping mechanisms are the things that we do. They're the thoughts and behaviors that we use to manage unpleasant emotions and stressful situations. So when we have unpleasant emotions and stressful situations, what are the coping mechanisms that we turn to? It could be opening the refrigerator. It could be alcohol or drugs. It could be shopping. It often is porn. It could be video games in an unhealthy way. It could be self-harm. You know, it could be like Abram lying. It can be seeking to control everything, becoming manipulative. Um, Obsessive working, you know, that's, that's probably my most natural coping mechanism, is like, well, I'm just going to, like, start working. And, you know, it could be sleeping in an unhealthy way, excuses, making excuses. There are, all, we all have coping mechanisms that we develop in life. 
and they just become like second nature. But we know it's a coping mechanism if it's something we turn to instinctively and if it's about self-preservation. Abram, it was about self-preservation. He was afraid of getting hurt, of being killed. And so he turned to this unhealthy behavior to preserve his life instead of trusting God. And that's what we've got to replace the coping mechanism with, is, is trust towards God. Um, you know, this can be especially hard when we've been hurt, wounded, we've seen tragedy and loss, um, we're trauma, unstable home situations. There are things that are just very, like, ingrained in us. But God is um, in the business of replacing our coping, coping mechanisms with ways of trusting him that are better. And I love how, like, in the, this story, in the other place where Abraham lies, it was like God was still with him. God wasn't like, all right, you loser, I'm going to pick somebody else. Like, you first sign of trouble, you just started lying. I gotta, there's got to be someone better out there. No, like, God's interaction with him is still, like, right there with him. He's walking him through it. He's coaching him. He's actually even protecting Abraham from the negative consequences that could have happened in these situations. Like, God, like, he doesn't turn his back on us. He's, there, there may be consequences, but he is, his, his heart is to lead us out of it and to differentiate us into something better. So we've got to differentiate from our coping mechanisms. So, you know, got to ask you, if you haven't asked yourself this question, hey, is there a coping mechanism that you turn to in stressful situations, unpleasant emotions? What is that? And is God leading you? If there is, God is leading you to come into something better. The next one, this is really interesting. This might be my favorite one. Um, the next one, I'm just going to kind of tell more of the story. The next differentiation is kind of like the second one, but it's differentiation from halfway decent people. And our example of this in the story is Abram's nephew, Lot. And Lot was a young fellow who Abram had raised and grown with. His, his, Abraham's brother had died, Lot's dad, and Abraham had helped raise him, had taken him with him to Canaan. He was a pretty good dude. And Abraham was very fond of him. But there came this place where there began to be tension in the relationship. And the servants of Lot and the servants of Abram were quarreling over the land. And it says there wasn't enough room in the place for them. And we come to the place in, in, in Genesis 13 verse 9 where Abraham sat down with Lot and he said, hey, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And so Lot chose the place that was, was very, looked like it was a prosperous place. There was good land. Um, it was a, a desirable place. And there also happened to be the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah right there, which we'll come to later. But he chose, he chose that. And, and Abraham just was gracious to him, but they... They separate it. And it's interesting because you, you read this and you're like, well, couldn't they have worked it out? Like, Lot seems like a pretty good dude. And even in another place in the Bible, it calls him righteous Lot. Like, he was, compared to the people around them, he was a pretty good guy. But at a core level, the values and the beliefs that he had were not congruent enough for them, for, to Abraham to build 
and to live with him in a way that was going to establish the culture that God needed to establish. And, you know, there are, there are certain people that may come to that. It's not that we're like, you know, despising them or something, but we may realize that, like, you know, these are, these are pretty decent people, but they're not the people for me to be, for, to be my closest friends. They're not, they're, they're not the people for me to invest this level of time and energy and communication with. Like, they're all right, but they are keeping me from the focus that my life needs to have. And so for me to, to be in the center of God's will, I've got to differentiate to be in the place where, where he's called me to be. Um, so where, you know, the beginning of the point of that is, you know, who are your closest relationships? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus they've got to be believers. You know, if your closest friends are not also followers of Jesus, then that, they shouldn't be your closest friends. God wants to give you better friends than that. I'm not saying anything bad about them, but your true, truest, closest, covenant brothers and sisters should be believers. And not only that, but a high level of like-mindedness. That their values and their beliefs and the energy, like what they're living their life for, there's a high level of like-mindedness that you can build together. And so, got to ask, you know, the, the question for us is, is there a lot in your life who you're overly tied to? Is there someone where, to follow God, maybe that relationship needs to adjust somewhat? All right, the next one is the, the differentiation from immorality, especially sexual immorality. Um, in Genesis 13.1, it says, the two angels who had visited Abram came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So Sodom and Gomorrah are in famous places now because they were so perverse and sexually immoral. And it got to the place where God said, you know, that is, that is so dysfunctional and broken that I'm going to have to judge these cities and destroy them. And Abraham, it's interesting that he had already differentiated himself from those places, but Lot had placed himself when he was living right there. And, you know, that's one place where we see Lot's weaknesses. He, he had become okay with a sexually immoral culture. And although he was, was grieved by it, his morals and his, he was influenced by the world that he was in. At one point, you know, he even, like, the, the, I mean, it's just it's so dark, but the, the men of the city wanted to rape these angels who came to visit. And Lot, he said, no, no, don't do that. That's wrong. But he offered his two daughters to sleep with them. And so we see that, like, okay, he's, like, he's, he's not in the place where he should be. There's, he's been influenced by this sexually immoral culture. And, you know, if there's one thing that it's, and this may seem like, the, this is probably the simplest, most obvious differentiation, but it's not the simplest because it's one that is so often an entanglement for people to keep us from God's calling upon our life. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 18, 14 through 18, God tells us, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has a temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. 
then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Our level of experiencing God being our father is directly connected to us leaving the immorality and the immoral relationships that are, in, that are so, so easily entangle us. Earlier in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, and he said, flee from sexual immorality. You're a temple of God if you're a believer. Flee from it. Have nothing to do with it. And so that's you know, a clear area where God is calling us to live different than our culture. And you know, in all of these today, I'm just going to say, now I want to say at the end, but if you're like, okay, I'm choosing today to differentiate from something, then I'm going to repent of that, and I'm going to turn to God. Then I strongly encourage you that if you're going to do this, tell somebody. Because that's a, that's a vital part of walking this out, of confessing your sin or what you're turning from, and have someone pray with you and stand with you to help this be successful. And it'll, it'll be huge, especially if it's an entrenched pattern in your life. All right, the next differentiation is, is differentiation from your flesh. There's this, this plate. Your flesh is, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's using our, our natural resources, using our minds, our emotions, our bodies, to, that are not being transformed, in, in the places where they're not transformed by God, just our own natural fallen selves, to try to get what we want. So in this story, God had promised Abram, hey, you're going to be a father of many nations. And it's odd, he was 75 years old when God told him that, and he hadn't had any kids. And then the years went on, and he still didn't have any kids. And so Abram got to the place where he said, you know what, this isn't working. I think I need to like, change things up a little bit. And he and Sarai talked, and, and they said, hey, here's, she said, Here, here's this servant woman. Why don't you sleep with her and produce an offspring? And that must be the way that God wants to fulfill this promise. And so they did that, and they had a child, Ishmael. And that became a very divisive, fractious relationship that we still see lived out today between the Muslims and the people of, of Israel, of natural descendants of, 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 of Abraham, because the, the Muslim world looks to Ishmael as their, their, their ancestor. And so, but Abram was, like, he was using his flesh to do, to try to help God, to help God out a little bit. But it was with his own means instead of the means God had called him to use. And so, that's what always happens. In, in Galatians 4, the Apostle Paul's writing about this, this story. He says, it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So the flesh was, is self-made plans and ideas. It's using your, your natural assets to try to get what you want to see accomplished. Um, you know, we, we have become so natural for us in so many ways. But we, like, we try to make it happen with our own strength. But God wants to teach us to trust him and to see him bring it about. And for us to give over our natural resources to him. 
You know, it's, it's wild. But this whole, soon out, in this whole story, this is where God later gives Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And we were like, okay, that's kind of weird. Like, why is, what's, what's the deal with that? Like, why are they having this medical procedure to all the dudes? But one essential aspect of this is it was getting to the place of the flesh and doing a procedure to, to separate, to operate on the, fr- the flesh so that in the place where Abraham was his most intimate, his like greatest source of natural virility and power, it was like, hey, it needs to be not just you and your natural strength, but that needs to be given to God in a place where he transforms it and changes it. And that's what God does with, with all our flesh. It's he takes our flesh in all the different places, and he operates on it. We're going to talk today at our Knowing God class about baptism, and baptism is a circumcision, we're told. That it's a place where our old life, our flesh, there's a separation from, their, from that old life and coming into the new life. So there has to be a differentiation from our flesh. All right, we could talk a lot more about that. But the last one we're going to talk about today is maybe the most challenging, but it's differentiation from divine promises and rewards. Differentiation from divine promises and rewards. In Genesis 22, we read the story, and I'd encourage you all to just, this whole story, it'd be a good thing to read this week. It's like, it was like eight pages in my Bible, the chapters in Genesis about, about Abraham, and just like meditate on it and apply it. There's so much here, but we see that after Abraham was, was 99, God, he did conceive a child of the promise, Isaac, and Isaac grew up, and he's like, wow, God, you came through, and here's the child of the promise, and this is the one through whom you're going to make me a great, mighty nation and bless all the nations of the world. And then in chapter 22, we read that, verse, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow. Like God's asking him to offer his son as a sacrifice. The very promise of God he's now asking him to kill. And, we, and what did Abraham do? He, he did it. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And, you know, if you know the story, you know they got all the way there. And he had Isaac on the altar, and he had the knife in the air. And God said, stop! And I think just, like, all of heaven is just watching this moment. Like, wow. He did it. Like, he trusted God to this point. And we're told that Abraham had faith that God was even able to raise his son from the dead. Like, he believed, hey, God, you're going to do it. I don't know how, but I'm trusting you. I knew, he knew God well enough to trust God. And then God had provided a a lamb in the bush that was stuck, and that was the sacrifice that was made instead. But how is Abraham able to do that? Well, one, he just had faith in God, that, hey, God, I trust you, I trust your character, I trust you're going to be able to do it. Um, you know, I think also he, he just, it was that God was his reward. A few chapters earlier in, 
in, verse 15, in chapter 15, we're told that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abram came to the place of realizing that, you know, all these other things you give me, they're great, but the greatest thing you give me is you and my relationship with you.